Um, <clears throat> one thing I, I think about uh, with Easter, when what it made me think of uh, this week, is how powerful information is. Um, we've all probably been in that place where we have a piece of information, whether it's um, good news or gossip, where we just feel like there's this power in being able to share it, you know, and being able to bring it to someone. It has an effect uh, on people. And the Bible talks about that, actually, in a negative sense. Uh, James, in the book of James, talks about the powerful nature of the tongue. It's like the small rudder that guides this big ship or a little spark that can set off a whole forest on fire. Um, but in other ways, we see in the Bible how powerful it is, you know, having news, having information. Um, I thought of this passage from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 52, 6-8. It says, I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing with joy. For before their eyes they flee the Lord returning to Jerusalem. They see, I'm sorry, they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Yeah, that's very different. Yeah. <laughs> Some people flee, I guess. Uh, so this is this is a poem taken from the uh, prophet Isaiah, and uh, it the picture of it is uh, you know kingdoms and the king going off to war, and people at home wondering what happened. You know, what's what's the news? And whenever I read this, I can picture someone uh, seeing the messenger cresting over the hill, right? Um, and just uh, on their way towards the city. And people just anxious to see what the news will be. Um, did our king, did our army win? And if so, it means uh, the, the fallout is enormous if, if your nation wins. And, and so it's this beautiful poem about waiting for news and seeing the news and seeing, you know, and it's, it's the feet, you know, and that's the way poems work. You focus on something, the feet of the messenger, how beautiful it is to see the feet running over to give us good news that our king has won. And so Easter is about news. It's about information, um, bringing information uh, to a world that is broken, a world... Um, that is weary, a world that is lost. And on Easter morning, it's uh, to people who are grieving uh, the loss of their friend, who they thought might be king, who they thought might be the savior, and the news of running back to tell others that this incredible thing has happened. There's powerful in it. But Easter is different uh, than this news with you know, the, 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 the messenger over the hill. Because you're kind of waiting for something to happen. Easter was totally unexpected. Totally unexpected. Israel hoped that one day there would be a king, that there would be a savior. 
And Israel believed that all would be in this general resurrection at the end of the age. But no one expected that the Savior would die. And I suppose when he died, they probably thought, he's probably not the Savior. But also, I don't know of any scripture that talks about this promised king, the Messiah, the Savior, raising early, ahead of that general resurrection. They believed in the afterlife, this general resurrection, where all people would be raised. But this idea that the Savior comes ahead of that, that's shocking. That's a surprise. That's news. That's not something you're looking for. As we see in the Gospels, we'll read one passage People just aren't expecting it. They're surprised by it. They don't know how to handle it. Um, And so, the news, the good news, this eye-opening, jaw-dropping, this changes everything sort of news. And so as we work through the New Testament, we're actually going to start a series on Hebrews this morning. And we'll look at a few verses, the beginning of Hebrews, odd book, perhaps, for Easter. But when you think about it, at the beginning of Hebrews, we see everything is focused on Jesus, everything. And we'll see that laid out for us. And it strikes me that decades later, decades later, this is still shocking news. It's still worth being proclaimed. It's still worth shouting about. It's still worth... Uh, exhorting us to action. I mean, it's still at the heart of the message. Amen. The fact that Jesus is alive and well Amen. and with us. And so it's remarkable because uh, particularly in our age with media the way it is, I mean, uh, you know, news is outdated in about five or ten minutes. And you can scroll through your feed and find something else. And so decades and decades later, we come to this letter uh, called the Letter to the Hebrews. Um, And it's not a letter. It's not like Paul's letter. It's not like Romans where it's addressed to a crowd. It's not like James or Peter or John or any of those letters. Um, There's no addressee. There's a church. Uh, We don't really know much about it. But when you begin to read it, we realize that it's a sermon. It's a sermon to a church rather than a letter. And so rather than addressing a very specific issue within the church, whatever they may be dealing with, like in Corinthians or Romans or Galatians, we have this sermon. And at the heart of it is Jesus. And when we open up the the first verses, you know me, for for those of you who've been here for a while, you know I like to take large chunks, not a couple verses. And, And we read this at staff meeting on Tuesday and I think it had the effect that it was meant to have. All of us just kind of stopped. I'm like, man, this is blowing my mind the way this reads. The opening verses to the sermon are so profoundly deep and have the potential to change lives Amen. that it was, we had to read it twice, Lisa and Lori and I. And so... <clears throat> I'm going to read it. Before we get into it, before we pick it apart, we're just going to read it. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, God spoke many times 
and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very nature of God, the very character of God, the exact likeness of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. And then next week we'll see that they go on to talk about angels. <clears throat> so we're reading this at staff meeting. And we're just like the exact imprint of God, the exact nature of God. And God spoke through his son. And all these things, we're just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And I have to admit, I haven't been in Hebrews in, in quite a while. And it's theologically deep. It's very deep. Um, during our Easter season, between now and Pentecost, typically the church focuses on Jesus as king. And Hebrews will be focusing on Jesus' other characteristics. Namely, Jesus as priest, which we get a little bit of right here in this part. And so we'll continue that. We will get to an Easter story, I I promise. So the good news. God spoke. Hebrews 1 and 2. Long ago... God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. That alone is probably worth the whole morning. Because what it shows us is that God is not distant. God does not leave us on our own. God is not impassive. The universe is not some piece of machinery that he sets in motion and then steps away. The fact that God speaks means that God enters into our lives, that God relates. I don't know all in in the book of Genesis about what it means to be made in the image of God, but one thing uh, that we know that as humans that we possess is this ability to communicate. At least a little bit more than dolphins and monkeys. But uh, God speaks. God enters in. And when we think of God speaking, we think of the creation of the universe, where God speaks existence into being and begins to separate and order the chaos of the world into a beautiful temple, a garden, a garden temple, where humankind is placed as an image. And so right there from the beginning, we see a God who is involved, a creator who is involved, who draws near. God is a talker, one who has been speaking, arguing, pleading, wooing, commanding, telling stories, and conversing. 
since the beginning of time. And so when we talk about news or revelation, sometimes we speak of revelation as a new keen insight into a text or something I've learned or something I now understand or, or wisdom. But revelation is God speaking to us, Amen. God entering into our world and sending his son. And as it says here, speaks to his son. So revelation is far more than just discerning something true. Revelation is God breaking into our lives. At its very heart, it's very relational. Right? It says this happened in various times and ways in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, or the ancestors. The person writing is talking about their ancestors, Jewish ancestors. And when it talks about prophets, it doesn't just mean Isaiah and Jeremiah, but also Moses and Abraham and all these people who spoke on behalf of God. And it talks about God not as some sort of endless chatter. We talk about God as revelation, but not like FM radio where it just keeps going and you finally have to shut it off just to get it out of your head, right? Just to get some quiet. But in ways where God enters in and then it's punctuated by these times of silence. And God works through um, various ways it talks about. Political movements. Dreams. The creation itself. Clouds and waterfalls. Prophetic oracles. Pillars of fire. Commandments of law. Stories of kings in the quietness of prayer, in the noise of debate, in the humdrum of committee meetings, and in the still small voice on the mountain. And then he goes on, and this is going to shape the course of the entire book. But now, and now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. And so the author is saying that there is a time in history that things change. And that's with Jesus. That there is this before age and now in the later age. We read the Old Testament, we read about the day of the Lord. And I think for us, sometimes we read about it as some sort of distant future. And what this person understands about the news, about the resurrection of Jesus, and what the people understood once they began to piece this out, what's really going on, is that the age has started already. The final age has started. When Jesus is resurrected, that promised age of the Messiah begins. And we are traveling through that time now. And so when the author says, you know, God spoke and broke into human existence, that's, that's good news. But when now it's through the Son and we're in that age, that is good news Amen. for us. Particularly when we see the resume that it's going to unfold here. Jesus' resume. And so God breaks through, and we are living in a new age, which is part of the reason why decades after the resurrection, whoever wrote this, the author, is so captivated by Jesus because it's still news that we need to hear over and over and over again. <clears throat> so... Go on. Um, he spoke through his son. And then he talks about Jesus. And he lists seven different sort of affirmations about Jesus. In the second part of verse 2, we see God promised everything 
to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. All these things are about Jesus. It's going to stack up and stack up high, almost like a pile of books. You think this is, we can't stack any more character on Jesus. It's going to fall over. But he starts talking about Jesus as a son. And this isn't unusual. In Exodus, Israel is spoken of as a son. Angels are spoken of as sons. Kings are are, are spoken of as sons. But there's something different here. There's something bigger And when we talk about Jesus as a son, there's also family and relational language there. We talk about someone who's all this inheritance, all this wealth, all this resource gets handed on to this person. And all that wealth and resource is not the way we define it. It's very different. It's grace and mercy and power and love. That is piled so high we can't wrap our minds around it. That Jesus has inherited all this from his Father. And through the Son, he created the universe. The Hebrew Bible is a bit unique in its creation story because in other cultures, it's a battle. And it's usually a battle between a male God and a female God. I wonder where they got that idea from. And it's violent. But in the Hebrew Bible, it's just God. And so the writer of Hebrews does something kind of sneaky here, but incredibly profound. That as we travel through the Hebrew Bible and we look at wisdom literature, we read these these passages that talks about how wisdom was in the beginning when God created the world. And so the church, this preacher, this Pastor, whoever it is who's delivering this sermon, understands, and the church began to develop this doctrine about Jesus, that Jesus is the one that is a part of that creation, that all the things that hold this together, this world together, he's a part of it. He's a part of the wisdom in the creation. That's affirmation number two. The sun radiates God's own glory. The glory of God is that personification of God that we see so often in the Hebrew Bible. The pillar of fire, the pillar of the cloud during the day, the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. And expresses the very character of God, the exact replication of God. The version we read on on, uh, Tuesday at staff meeting, was it it was a little different, and it was just mind-blowing the way it put it. The exact imprint of God. So what this is talking about is uh, back then the king would send an important letter and there'd be a seal on it because you want to make sure no one else read the news, right? And there'd be this imprint to imprint the king's seal on it. So you'd have this thing that was carved, um, and that's what it's talking about. It's called character, actually. In Greek, it's character. So the very character of God, an exact imprint of God the Father, this signet Kind of this ring or this imprint, this stamp that people would use. He's drawing on all this imagery. <clears throat> and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And again, we have the word of God reaching in, and that creation is not some 
impersonal machinery where we are just taken by the tide, which is so important to remember because we feel that way so often, right? We feel a bit fatalistic that things happen that we have no control over. And that seems so different than what we see in the Bible. And it is. Jesus sustains creation. It's not static. It's active and dynamic and it's moving and it's flowing. And that can be very frustrating when we want to try to understand where it's going or why it went this way or that way. But that's something that's live and growing. That's Jesus. When he cleansed us from his... From our sins, and notice here the verbs are all Jesus is the active, he's the subject now. This is all that Jesus thinks Jesus does. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in a place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And here you have, again, something very unusual. This person knows their Bible very well. Jesus is a priest, someone who offers sin, someone who goes before the people, intercedes for the people. But instead of having to do it year in and year out on the Day of Atonement in the fall, he offers it once and he sits down. It's the image of a priest. And we're going to see as this book progresses that Jesus is a greater priest than what we've seen, what they've seen before. But also he sits down at this place of honor. That's the image of a king. And typically you didn't have kings who were priests as well. But Jesus covers both of those roles. He rules He offers atonement. He goes before us. He's a king and a priest. This shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. And we'll get into that next week. Um, We'll talk about angels next week. And so a writer of Hebrews is still struck dumb by this image where they can't get their mind around it and they can't stack up enough adjectives to describe what Jesus is all about. This eye-opening, jaw-dropping, this-changes-everything news. And I think part of the point here is that you cannot come into contact with this person and not be changed. And we see that in Scripture, um, in these accounts of Jesus, of the revelation that the tomb is empty. I'm going to read Matthew. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, but she feels a little left out there, the other one went to the visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here, he's risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen. Come 
see where the body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And there's the turn there in Matthew. From fear to joy. They rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So I looked at all these, and in all of those accounts you see this turn. From fear to joy. In Mark, it's interesting. The women show up, and they're trying to figure out how to move away the stone. And there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk about how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And they're, they're struck to silence. It goes from talkativeness to silence. And in Luke, well, in John, Mary shows up and doesn't recognize him. And so there's this change from being unknown to known. And as soon as he says her name, she knows who it is. From being unknown to known. And then I think, I love this one. This one's not Easter morning, it's the evening. And these two travelers are heading out of Jerusalem. And here's what's interesting, because they know the news. They've heard the news. Jesus asks them. Jesus shows up, but they don't know who it is. says that God kind of hid their eyes. And they're traveling outside of town. Jesus walks with them. They don't know it's Jesus. They have this conversation, and he's just asking them, what's the news? What, what are you guys talking about? And they say, basically, they're like, are you dumb? You know, like, there's all this stuff that's been going on. And they go on to tell about how the story is he's risen from the dead. Jesus reveals himself at a meal, a very relational thing for a God who speaks, for revelation. And their eyes are open, and they turn and run back. Jesus disappears, and they run back. So there's this running away from the scene and then running back with joy. But they have that news. And so it's interesting because you can have the news and still be heading out of town. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The very fact that this is a sermon written to a church tells us that that's true. Because this church is tired. Numbers are going down. People aren't showing up to service. They're being persecuted. They're probably getting tired of trying to figure out how to develop a rich prayer life. And this is not a sermon to make us feel guilty about those things. It's just an amazing thing that when Hebrews... When the author of Hebrews addresses, when he begins the sermon, there's not a discipleship plan here. There's not a, we need to rally the troops. There's this amazing list of 
who Jesus is. Jesus is at the center of this whole thing. He can't get enough, can't speak enough about how powerful this person is. And that's, you know, we've had that year. It's been a tiring year. I was not feeling it yesterday, I have to admit. It's been a long week. And I was just tired. We had band practice. That was the highlight of the day. Um, I think sometimes those practices are, sound even better than Sunday. And it's a real blessing. But outside of that, it was a beautiful day. I could barely get outside. I just wasn't. It's been a tough year. Not just with the cloud of pandemic hanging over, but in all the stories that I've heard, it's been difficult. And we've been struggling with things, and we feel like we're dragging a little bit. And so here we have Jesus. We have this picture of Jesus. And this preacher knows something. (laughs) That if we can get into that relationship, not trying to formulate a plan, but just experiencing the king and the creator of the universe, something happens that is so powerful. Something happens that is so powerful. I heard something today at the, at the sunrise service that the, the Methodist church did in town. I tried to write it down. I, I don't know if this is exactly how she put it. But the pastor said, as Easter people, we don't give up hope simply because Hope is hard to see. Amen. And it's been hard to see this year. Yeah. But Jesus is still there. Jesus is still alive and well. Amen. Jesus is still working through the creation. Amen. Jesus still speaks. God speaks through his son. And so if we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. And there we see. What does God look like in the flesh? Amen. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. Amen. Yeah, Amen. right. This is good news. Eye opening, jaw dropping. This changes everything news. And I pray that this season, after having that whole season, half a season off, and then it's part season, you know, still masked, and I look at good friends and I still don't recognize them, don't know who they are, you know, after that year, we still need that. Amen. And so we're going to travel through this book and look how Jesus is greater than. And, we're gonna, and the book's going to go through every opportunity. Jesus is greater than this and greater than that and greater than Moses and greater than angels and greater than the rest that they have.